we, you know, we're used to going through books of the Bible verse by verse, section by section, and every fall I try to uh, just take a few weeks, three, four, maybe five weeks, and uh, address a topic um, specifically. And so we've done that, I think, every year that I've been here, and that is no different this year. Um, we're a little bit later getting into the topic, um, but that's all right. We're going to take the next four weeks and talk about the gospel, um, which I am very, very excited about this study um, for us. Uh, when you say that you're a Christian, which I think most everyone in here would claim this morning to be a follower of Christ, but when you, when you say that you're a Christian, at the most fundamental level, what you're saying is, I have received news, historical news, and I have accepted that or believed that news to be true. And then, of course, that has impact on your life and reshapes you and reforms you. And so if you boil it down, really, this morning, it's kind of odd that we're all here together, all from different walks of life, different families, different backgrounds, and we've all come here this morning to gather together to people outside. That would seem to be an odd thing. But the reason that we have done that this morning is because we're saying there is something that happened in human history that fundamentally changed things. And we have received report of that this morning. We've heard about it. We've heard that it, it took place, that someone rose from the dead. And so since we think that's true, we're here this morning to receive that news again and to talk about the way that that news impacts life this morning. Those events that took place reshaped our world. You could say, and we'll get into this later, but the, the new creation began when that man rose from the dead some 2,000 years ago, and we're participating in that new creational kingdom right now this morning, and we're celebrating that and hearing about that reality this morning. Now, that's what the scriptures mean when they use that word gospel, right? That, that's what the scriptures are talking about. The gospel is the good news, at the most fundamental level, that's what we mean when we use that word gospel. The gospel, the good news, has been reported. And so, in Romans 1, in verse 16, which is maybe one of the most familiar verses that uses this word gospel, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And when he says that, what he's saying is, look, I have heard this report, I know this news, it is good news, and I have received it, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed to proclaim this news to you. And I'm not ashamed of it because of a couple of things. One, because it's true. This is accurate, historically reliable news that I'm reporting to you. So there's no need for me to be ashamed of this news report. And I'm not ashamed because when you receive this news and you believe it, it has the power to fundamentally change you, to give you new life and eternal life. This will change you in a deep and lasting way when you receive this news. And so that's why he's not ashamed of it. In fact, he's bold to proclaim this news because it's true and it will change people. And so if, if this is the case, the gospel is true, the good news is true, and it has the power to change people, then for you and I, we need to make sure that we are understanding exactly what this news is, that 
we're to know and that changes us. And we, we need to make sure that we are communicating this news to others in a way that is clear and is understandable. <clears throat> we want to get this news in the most accurate way possible from the scriptures, and then we want to be able to communicate it to others. And we want to be able to live our lives based on the accuracy of this news. So you can think of it this way. If I, a few years ago, uh, I think it was maybe two or three years ago, I received a report from my doctor that I had a little bit of skin cancer on my face. And when my doctor communicated that word cancer to me, the doctor explained, now this is, if there's a good kind of cancer, this is it. It stays on the surface and you're going to go through a very minor procedure to remove it and it will be completely fine, right? So that was the news that was communicated to me. Now, if I were to go home to my family and say, I've got cancer, I have to have surgery next week, that would not be an accurate representation of the news that was conveyed to me. There's some overlap there. There's some similarities in the news that I received and the news that I passed on, but those are, those are fundamentally different messages. It's not an accurate portrayal of what I received. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. We, in the next few weeks, we want to understand this news and communicate it. And so our question, really, in these four weeks is, what exactly is this good news that the gospel speaks of? This matters immensely for our witness in the world, and it matters really, too, for your fundamental spiritual growth. So the, the Bible places the gospel at the very center of our spiritual lives and of our spiritual growth, and so we need to make sure we get this, get this right. And it's also important to remember that this word gospel means not just news, but good news. There's no better news to receive than this. Some of you have probably heard of the, the man William Tyndale. He lived in the 1500s and uh, was largely responsible for translating the Bible into English. And so you and I have our English Bibles in some ways as a result of William Tyndale's work. And ultimately, his work of translating the Bible into English cost him his life. He was martyred for that. But here's what he had to say about this gospel, about this news that we have received and that we pass on. Evangelion, or Gelion, what we call the gospel, is a Greek word signifying good, merry, glad, and joyful news that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. And so over the next few weeks, I, I want this to be our response as we afresh come in contact with this good news that we have received. There's no better news and no more joyful news, and we, we tend to lose that joy over time, and I want us to, to discover it again. So as a thought experiment this morning, if someone were to ask you to convey this joyful news to them in five minutes, how would you do that? Or, or what would you say? What would your presentation of the gospel be? How would you organize the information that you're going to convey to them? I'm sure a lot of you have a different method that you use to understand and to present the gospel to someone or to think it through. And there are a number of good ways to organize the good news of the gospel. So 
Uh, Each of these different ways of presenting the gospel has certain strengths about it and certain weaknesses. Uh, When I was growing up in my church, I learned the method of presenting or understanding the gospel as the Romans road. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that, but basically what you would do is you would sort of jump around in the book of Romans and you would start in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 and you would say, well, we've all sinned, we've all broken God's law, we've all done bad things, and that would be your starting point. And then you would jump ahead to Romans 6 and you would say, well, okay, so sin requires judgment and requires death. There is a penalty for sin. And then you would go back to Romans 5 And it was easy to remember this because three, you double it in six, and five, and you double it in 10, right? So it's really a nice way to remember. Romans 5, you would say, despite the fact that there's death for sin, the free gift of God is eternal life. And then Romans 10, if you will believe in the work of Jesus Christ and trust in him, then you can receive that gift of eternal life. And so that's one way that people use to organize the gospel and and to present the gospel. Another way, um, you I think it's called the four spiritual laws or uh, this, this method of God, man, Christ response. Those are kind of the four words that you use for this. And this presentation of the gospel would go something like this. God is the creator, the holy creator, and we are made to love him and obey him. Man, the second point in this, mankind was created to love and obey him, but mankind has rebelled against God and disobeyed his law and therefore is deserving of punishment because of their sin. Christ Jesus comes into the world as the perfect man, lives a perfect life, and dies in our place, rises from the dead, takes the wrath of God for sin, overcomes sin by dying in our place and by rising from the dead, and offers us forgiveness and his righteousness. And then, of course, the response part of this is that we respond with faith and repentance and receive eternal life. Now, these are are absolutely fine ways to present the gospel. And I I would venture to guess that most of you, if you've been around the church for any length of time, are familiar with these methods to understand the gospel. These are probably the basic ways that you understand this. But what I wanna do in this series is I wanna sort of back up a little bit and try to help us to understand both of these methods of of presenting the gospel in a larger context. And so I wanna try to think, how does the Bible describe the gospel? When the Bible, particularly the New Testament, uses the word gospel, where where do the New Testament authors go? And how do they understand this good news And I think when we do this, these two methods of presenting the gospel are going to fit within a bigger context. And all of them are fine, uh, but I want to show you this bigger context so that you can better grasp what you're thinking about when you think about these presentations of the gospel. If, If there was a weakness in both of these methods of presenting the gospel, I would say that both of these very much focus on the individual person. Now, obviously, There's merit to that, right? Like each individual has to repent and receive the gospel. God elects and saves individual people. And so there is is value. It's not wrong to think about the individual. But if we're not careful, we can become so zeroed in and so focused on the individual that we we miss a huge portion of, of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's doing. 
And we miss sometimes why the gospel is good news for all of creation and for all people and certainly for individuals who are saved through repenting and believing. And so if we don't see this bigger context, then I think it can lead us to not have the joy that we should have in the gospel when we hear this good news. And so what I want to do this week and next week is I want to zoom out and I want to see sort of the the 30,000 foot view of the gospel. And then these methods of understanding the gospel will fit within that. So to help us do that, we're going to sort of have a little Bible study where we flip around a bit this morning. So you can get your Bibles out. And I, I want to draw your attention to several passages, briefly go through those that that use this word gospel in the New Testament, right? So you can start in 1 Corinthians 15. So this week, we're going to look at these passages and sort of prep you for the way that the New Testament uses this word gospel. And then next week, I'm just going to present the gospel to you. So we're just going to, we're going to use the method that I'm talking about, and we're just going to go through the gospel and present it to you next week. And hopefully that will be very clarifying And then you'll see how these fit into that bigger picture. So as we look at these passages, starting in 1 Corinthians 15, there are some elements of the gospel that I want to draw your attention to that maybe you've not thought as specifically about before. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4 is where we're going to be. Start in verse 1. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand. Now he says later on in verse 3 that this gospel is of first importance. And so Paul thinks and understands this good news to be very, very significant. In fact, he would say this gospel, this good news, is at the very heart of my ministry. This is why I preach to you, Corinthians. This is why I travel all these thousands of miles. This is why I suffer beatings. This is why I do what I do. It's to make sure that you receive this good news. And this good news, this gospel that he has preached to them, dramatically impacts their lives. Look there. Which you received in which you stand, verse 2, and by which you are being saved. So they received the message, the news. They're currently standing and living in this message. It shapes their daily life, their present life, and they're going to, by God's grace, continue to hold on to this message into the future. So this message has a past, a present, and a future aspect to them. Paul says, do not let go of this news that you have received. Cling tenaciously to this gospel. Now, that's quite a buildup. So whatever this gospel message is that Paul is going to give them is very important for their spiritual lives. So what's the heart of this message? Look at verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, right? So he's passing on to them what he has received, and here's the heart of it. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day 
in accordance with the scriptures. So I want you to notice a couple of important things about this gospel message. First of all, the person and work of Jesus Christ is at the very heart of this message. Notice who he says is at the heart of this message. Christ. Now, there can be a tendency for us to think of Christ as Jesus' last name. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Nathan Williams, right? Like, so, but that's not, that's not this word, Christ. It's not a last name for the man, Jesus. This word, Christ, is essentially the word Messiah, the King, the coming one, right? And so Paul uses this word here to direct our attention to who Jesus is, and specifically, he is the Christ, he is the culmination of all of the Old Testament expectations for the Deliverer. He is the Christ. And you can't understand that word Christ, and you can't understand his work unless you understand him as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So when you, when you preach the gospel, when you understand the gospel, you have to understand who Jesus is as the Bible presents him, and you have to understand the work that he has done. Look what it says right there in verse 3, that he died for our sins. So the Christ, the Messiah, died. He did work. He died for our sins in verse 4, and that he was raised on the third day. He was buried and he was raised. Those are the key elements of his work. So his person and his work are the heart of this message. But notice, too, that twice in verses 3 and 4, what does Paul say? has to be there if we're going to rightly understand this good news. That this good news is according to the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament scriptures. The scriptures that were the only ones that the Apostle Paul had. The scriptures that he was preaching from to these believers. He died according to the scriptures. And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so here's what I would sort of summarize what Paul's saying about the gospel here with two main points. The gospel is the message about the person and work of Jesus Christ. You're not proclaiming the gospel. You're not believing the gospel if it's not centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ, who he is, understanding better who he is as the Christ and understanding what he did and the implications of his death and his resurrection. And I would say you're not proclaiming the gospel, you're not understanding the gospel unless you're understanding it as the climax of a story that began in the Old Testament. It's according to the scriptures. Why is it good news? You, we can't understand why it's good news if we jump into the middle of the story and we don't know the whole background because that background helps us to understand it as good news. And so the personal work of Christ are the center of this message, and it is a, a message that comes to us as the climax of a story. And you need that whole context if you're to rightly understand the message. Now, I want you to flip to another passage. Romans, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Now, I, 
I, I told you before, I learned how to think about the gospel from the book of Romans. And I, I think most Christians would say the book of Romans is a very clear presentation of the gospel. And I, I think that's true. I learned the Romans road, but somehow in learning the Romans road, I never really looked at the very opening verses of this book that present the gospel to us. I sort of skipped over these. And in these opening verses, this is where Paul uses the word gospel and actually defines it for us and helps us to understand the context of the rest of this message that he's going to present throughout this entire book. So look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So again, Paul understands this message to be the heart. This news is the heart of what he's doing. This is why he ministers. It's all about the gospel. Now, what is this good news, right? Look at verse 2. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So again, Paul says to rightly understand and preach the gospel, you've got to understand the Old Testament scriptures. They build to the climax of the story, which is the personal work of Jesus Christ. The good news that you and I cling to, that we believe in, that we say is at the center of our Christian lives, is found beforehand in the Old Testament scriptures. It was promised by God there. So what's the subject matter of this good news? Look at verse 3. Concerning his son. So again, you can see the laser beam focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he? Well, look what Paul says. Who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there's a number of descriptions there, but the subject matter of the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ, the king who was the descendant of David, who died and rose from the dead in power. The message at the heart of this is the person and the work, who he was and what he did, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this glorious message, this good news, Paul says, is actually still at work among us. Look at verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. This message that he is giving us the good news of the gospel, is still shaping us, informing us, and going out to call all the nations to obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the book of Romans begins. Maybe the greatest presentation of the gospel by defining the gospel as centered on Christ and as built from the Old Testament coming forward. A couple more passages. Flip with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know you're enjoying this flipping around. You normally get in one passage and just sit there. So you've got to be on your A game this morning. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 8. Oh, man, I've been neglecting my uh, PowerPoint here. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 8. Another short one from the Apostle Paul. 
But look what he says here. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So again, it's, I mean, I hate to beat the same drum, but it's the same thing. It's the person of Jesus Christ. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the offspring of David, the descendant of David, and he has a focus on his work in rising from the dead. And so to properly understand and proclaim the gospel, you and I have to know what it means that Jesus is the Christ. We have to know why it matters that he is a descendant of David. What's the connection to David and why is that so important? And we have to explain why he rose from the dead and how he defeated death through his death, his sacrificial death and his resurrection. So Paul sees the Old Testament background of David as central to understanding and preaching the gospel. So we've looked at three passages so far, all from the hand of the Apostle Paul. But now I want to take you back to one more at the beginning of the gospel of Mark. So flip back to Mark chapter 1. And maybe, maybe you don't think about this, but it's no coincidence that we have four books in the New Testament that are called the Gospels. There is a connection there to the Gospel that we proclaim, even though we don't often go to these books to think about and to proclaim the Gospel. These books receive this designation of Gospels because they are because of what their subject matter is. They're focused on who Jesus is, and they're focused on the work that he did, specifically in dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Notice that Jesus himself proclaims the gospel. Look at verse 14 and 15 of chapter 1. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And what did he say? And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what was the good news that Jesus was proclaiming? Well, by his teaching and, we'll see next week, by his actions, by his miracles, by his work, he was announcing the fulfillment of Old Testament expectations. He was saying the story is fulfilled. The story has come to a climax. It has reached its pinnacle point in me. That's what he was proclaiming. And that is good news. God's rule and reign has returned to the earth through me and my work. And so the message that he was proclaiming was centered on him as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Now, if you read the four Gospels, you see this really right away, especially in the Gospel of Matthew and actually the Gospel of Luke, too, really in all four of them. But Matthew and Luke specifically, when you begin reading those Gospels with the Gospel as the central message that they proclaim, where do they begin? Jesus fulfills the Scriptures. He fulfills the Old Testament. He is presented. Read Matthew 1 through 4. This afternoon, if you have a few moments, right up until you get to the Sermon on the Mount, but read Matthew 1 through 4 and see how every single little story in those chapters presents Jesus as fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures. 
Because in order to proclaim the good news, you have to see him as the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. God's purposes are coming to fruition in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the descendant of David. And those four books, those gospels, focus in large part on his most important work of dying on the cross and then of rising from the dead which ultimately ushers in God's rule and reign as he proclaimed and as he promised. So here's what I would say this morning. Let me kind of summarize this and bring it to a head a little bit here, all right? I would say there are, there are two elements of the gospel that I want you to remember and keep in mind that we don't often crystallize and don't often think about in our understanding and proclamation of the gospel. And here's, here are those two elements. I would say... You can't boil the gospel down to these two elements. Let me just make that clear, right? I'm not saying this is the sum total, but I'm saying we forget these things and you really can't understand the gospel as good news, rightly, if you forget these things. The gospel is news about King Jesus. You can see that he proclaims the kingdom of God. God's rule and reign has come. There's a reason the kingdom is central to Jesus's ministry and his mission. And you'll see and understand why more next week. But the gospel is news about the Christ, the Messiah, the descendant of David, the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I would also say the gospel is an announcement concerning the climax of a story. It's the fulfillment of all of the expectations of the Old Testament. It's the pinnacle, the high point of a story. And if it's the high point, if it's the climax, you can't have the climax without the context, right? If you just jump into the end of a novel then, and see how the thing resolves itself, well, that doesn't do me any good. I don't understand the climax because you have to build up to the climax of the story and set the climax in the right context. That's why the Apostle Paul over and over again says... The gospel is according to the scriptures. So let me try to summarize this and bring it to a conclusion here. Hopefully it's not clear as mud. So the two, there, there are kind of two main ways to grasp the good news, all right? One of those is this, and let's call this the gospel on the ground. Now I'm, I'm taking this, this is not my uh, rubric for teaching this. I'm taking this from a really good book called The Explicit Gospel by Matt Chandler and Jared Wilson. And I would encourage you to go find it. Maybe we'll order it and have a few copies next week as we go through this. But um, they present these two paradigms for understanding the gospel, the good news. And you can't have one without the other. Now, this would be the very common way to understand the gospel. And this would be the gospel on the ground. So, like I said earlier, this focus is very much on the individual. When you present the gospel this way, you often use the word you in it, right? You have sinned against God. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. You must respond in faith and repentance. And there's nothing wrong with that. But this focus is on the individual. This would be like the street-level presentation of the gospel, the gospel on the ground, the other way to present the gospel, and the one that I think is the bigger picture that the gospel on the ground fits into, would be this. Creation, fall, redemption, 
and consummation. We'll call this, like they do, the gospel in the air. This is the 30,000 foot view. So in this understanding of the good news, we're, we're zooming out to 30,000 feet and we're trying to say, okay, how does Paul understand the gospel? He understands it as the big picture fulfillment of the Old Testament story. And the fulfillment or the climax of that story is that Jesus is the king. And he comes and secures God's rule and reign through his person and through his work, through his death and through his resurrection. And so this is the gospel in the air. And this one on, I don't know which side it is for you, left, I guess, gospel in the air, this is what I'm going to be walking through next week and presenting to you. We're just going to jump right into it. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. But I would say even with this presentation and understanding of the gospel, even with this, there can be a tendency for us to go, okay, creation, God created the world. Okay, Genesis 3, there was a fall into sin. Okay, redemption, we jump all the way ahead to the last few chapters of each of the gospels. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and one day everything will be set right. And so there can be a tendency in this to neglect Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the first part of the Gospels. And we sort of jump over what is really the bulk of your Bible and where Paul says that the Gospel comes from. It's according to the Scriptures. And that's what I don't want us to do because our understanding of this good news is rich and full and joyful when we see how redemption progressively unfolds through the Old Testament and the buildup in that story reaches its climax. And then when we get to the Gospels in the New Testament and we start to read about what Jesus says and how God's kingdom is coming through him, then we go, I understand what you mean by that. I see why this is such good news. And when we see the Lord Jesus heal people, we understand what that means in the broader context of Scripture. And there's joy in understanding that. And so the burden here is for us to not neglect a large portion of our Bibles as we understand the gospel and as we seek a richer and fuller explanation of this. And so I'm looking forward to this. I love this topic, and I hope that you are your interest is piqued um, to, to better grasp the gospel because we're gospel people. We're saved by the proclamation of this news. Our lives are changed. We're sitting here this morning because you have received this good news. And so I just want to go back and say, let's be as, as clear and as accurate as possible as we can when we understand this. So next week, I'm just going to do a gospel presentation and then there'll be two more parts to this series, uh, which is called How About Some Good News, which I thought was pretty pithy, but um, there, there are going to be two more, there are going to be two more parts to this series, uh, all right? So we're going to do the gospel presentation next week, and then the week after that, we're going to talk about the work of Christ and what he specifically accomplishes, okay? So there are a number of different, uh, let's call them motifs of the atonement that are important. So we normally think, and rightly so, that the atonement is 
Christ's penal substitutionary atonement. He pays the penalty for sin as my substitute, and that's, that's right. But there are other ways that the scriptures present the work of Christ that are so important for us. And I want to walk through a number of those and try to show you how they relate to each other so that we can fully rejoice in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, tip my hand a little bit here, if you only ever think of the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ and never, ever think about Christ winning the victory over sin and death, then there is a great lacking in our understanding of what he's done. And there's, there's a minimizing of his work, and there's a lack of joy in we're on the winning side. And, and this thing is going to reach its consummation, and he is the king who's going to set everything right because he won the victory through his substitutionary death on our behalf, Right? And then there's other motifs in Scripture that play out the work of Christ. It's a full and a rich picture of what he has done for us that sometimes we tend to minimize and simplify to the point where we're lacking understanding of the full picture. He is our representative man. That's another part of of the gospel uh, that that we need to think about as well. So that's going to be the third week of this. And then the fourth week of talking about the good news of the gospel, we're going to go into the results of this. What does this mean for two areas? You as an individual, what happens to you when you are saved? When the gospel, you receive the good news and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what actually happens? There are so many benefits that come to you as a result of this. You are united with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are justified, declared righteous in him. You are reconciled to the Father. There are so many benefits that flow out of the gospel to you as an individual. But we don't want to stay on the ground here, right? So we want to zoom out and say, okay, what are the cosmic, worldwide benefits that happen because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Romans chapter 8 talks about this in a significant way, that the creation itself is groaning and waiting for the redemption of God's sons because the work of Christ has a cosmic impact. He's going to set everything right. And so we want to see both elements of the results of the work of Christ in the individual and at the cosmic level. And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. And I'm excited about it. And my goal is that we will become further grounded in the gospel, further built up and encouraged in the good news, and that this will change us, change us and shape us in significant ways because, because that is what the gospel has the power to do in unbelievers and in believers as well. So let me pray for us and, uh, and then we'll sing. We'll be dismissed after that, all right? Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your work through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. We're thankful that that this is clear in Scripture, that we have this multifaceted presentation of this good news. In some ways, it is complex. It is variegated. We can look at this as we do a diamond from a number of different angles and see the different facets of it and rejoice and delight in what we see there. And in some ways, this is very simple, Lord. It's understandable. 
that you, the Lord Jesus Christ, have come as the fulfillment of God's plan and you have died on our behalf for our sins, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, and you have risen from the dead in victory over the powers of sin and death. And because of that, we are declared righteous. We are reconciled to you, united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are looking forward to the day when the entire world will be set right. You will rule and reign as king, and we will be your people, rejoicing in your presence for all of eternity. This is good news. And so I pray that this would would shape our hearts, that we would be joyful people of hope, even this week, as we ponder anew what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do through the, the going forth of this good news in the world around us and in our own lives. We thank you for for all you've done, and we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.